Who's ready for tonight? You know what the best messages are? This morning. Oh, I love this morning. Who loved this morning? Oh, I so loved this morning. I was just like, that was good, Dave. Yeah. I was alive. There was something in it. Even just sitting. I'm going to buy the CD too. I'll race you afterwards. You know, you know what? The best messages are the messages that we live. Is that right? The best messages, and that's probably the problem with the best messages too, is because you've got to go through it to experience it, to better spread it. And sometimes that hurts. Everyone say, that hurts. Hey, why don't you turn your Bibles to John chapter 17. You know, tonight, uh, we've got some keys. Who wants some keys to help you grow? God wants us to grow so that we can connect with him, so that we can change our world. The problem is, it isn't the growing thing. Is that right? My kids love me, but they don't like me when I adjust their behavior. And we're a little bit the same with God. Who loves God correcting them, adjusting them? Oh, I see, yeah. Julian, uh, Ian, maybe. There's a couple. Elaine, you love God correcting you, don't you? Silence. The silence is deafening. This is called the word that the world may believe. It says this in John. It says this in John chapter 17, verse 20. You see, the background of this is Jesus is on his way to the cross. And he's taken a few disciples and he's gone to a garden and he's beginning to pray. And he starts off and he prays and he's, got, he's going, God, I don't want to go through this. But God, not my will, but yours be done. And he starts to sweat and he's, he's, he's really fighting over what he's got to do. And so these are the last prayers or the last prayer, recorded prayer, what Jesus prayed. So do you think it's fairly significant? Do you think it's fairly significant? Yeah, we do. So should we find out what it says? Well, we can, we're just going to jump to the last bit of it. You know, the last. It's like who reads the book and just reads the last bit to see what it says. Well, here's this found in John chapter 17, verse 20. And it says this, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for your grace. I thank you for your grace here tonight. I thank you for your great love towards us, that when we were so far away from you, when broken, despised, you sent Christ. You sent Christ to not only save us, but to heal and restore, because you're the God of miracles. You come to heal and restore us, to bring us to a place where we can say, you're my shepherd, and I have everything I need. Father, I pray your revelation around your word tonight. Lord, that the power in your word would accomplish that for which you sent it. Lord, I pray for every life here. Lord, would be established and built on your word, strong and firm, that we could be your voice, that people would look at us and say, see how they love one another, and that they would turn to you. Everyone said? You know, it says that he's praying. Jesus is praying, and he said, I pray, I pray that that you, he's praying for you, he's looking down through the ages, through the 2,000 years, and he sees you, and he's praying, I pray that you may be one with me, just as I am one with the Father. And as, as Pastor Dave was talking this morning, Jesus is like that with the Father. You know, I heard that they read each other's mail. They're, they're so close, they're like that. 
So how could, and so he's praying that we would be like that with Jesus, just like Jesus is like that with the Father. Now, if you think about that for a moment, that's, that's kind of, does that kind of blow you away a bit? How could I be that close with my Savior? But then he goes on to say this, and that they may be one with each other. Now, turn to the neighbor, turn to your person next to you. Say, Jesus wants to me to be one with you. Then, uh, then, then, uh, then look back at your neighbor and just say, I've got a problem with that. <laughs> is, it, is that right? We, we struggle with that a little bit. You see, <laughs> is that true? We're, we're being honest about this, right? We struggle a little bit with some of those things. But you see, what he wants is not that you're going to be identical to the person next to you, but that you would have the same spirit. You see, he said, he prayed this, that they may be one as we are one, that they may be one with each other, that they may be one with me. And it says this, that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, what he's saying is this. He's saying that the spirit of God, who was way back, he came through Jesus, he came into the earth, into the disciples, that same spirit, the same spirit of Christ is to be in us, connected with him. You see, what does that mean? The same character of Christ, the same power of Christ. What would that be like? The same power of Jesus Christ where he walks down and he just touched the hand of a leper and the leper's made whole. That same power that was in Jesus in us. The same power, he walks up to the woman at the well and just starts to read her mail. And he says, you've had five husbands and the person that you're living with now is not your husband, but I've come to give you water that will last forever. That same Jesus wants to be one with us and flow through us. See, what was his, what's, his, what's his character like? The character of Jesus, full of hope, full of peace. What do you mean full of peace? He's just about to go to the cross. He's just about to die the most agonizing death possible. And yet he had something in him. There's a determination, a stamina, a strength, an internal connectedness with God. That same spirit, same spirit, you with him. Same spirit, same character, same life flowing in you and through you. The same hope, the same peace. Why? It says this, that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, the world's looking. They don't see Jesus, but they see you. And what do they see in you? Do they, do they see the character of Christ in you? Do they see the power of Christ in you? Or do they see something else? See, God's trying to conform us to his character and his image. It says, as Dave was talking this morning, we were made in his image. When we give our life to him, he causes his spirit to come alive in us. But the problem is we've got to change some of the character, some of the habits, some of the, the little things that where we steal the cookies out of the cookie jar. Oh, the little bentness, the, the quirks in us. He's trying to change those that we may be one with him. That we may be one with each other. That the world may see that he's alive. Is that right? And as, as Pastor Dave was talking this morning, you see, the world has got a different plan for you. Is that right? They, they see you and they see you as an opportunity to make money, as Dave said. Or an opportunity to get ahead. Or an opportunity to use you as a stepping stone. You see, God says he's working on the internal things, whereas the world would say it's all about the external things. Isn't that right? It's about what you can achieve. It's about 
pushing yourself forward. It's how can I promote myself? How can I use you to get ahead? How can I accumulate stuff? How can I, uh, how can I adjust my waist? I could go to the gym and then I'm going to be somebody. Maybe, uh, maybe I need some implants. Maybe, maybe I need some implants. Then I'm going to be somebody. Is that right? Or what else? Maybe if I've got a little bit more money. Maybe I've got that higher education. Then I better speak with authority and educated man. But see, what does Jesus say? That you may be one with me. See, what was Jesus like? He gave his life. You see, the world says you've got to become great. You've got to get ahead. You've got to do this. Go ahead. Use whatever it takes. Look after yourself. Pursue yourself. Grow yourself. Be somebody. Self-motivation. I'm a self-made man. Whereas Jesus, he laid down his life so that we could have what we've got today. We have got a great church. We've got great pastors. We've got a great, why have we got a great church? Who are you? We've got, a, is that right? Lend a little bit of convincing tonight. Have we got a great church? Yeah. Well, you better turn to the person next to you and say, we've got a great church because of you. You see, the world wants to conform you into their image, but Jesus is working on the things inside of you to conform you to his image. And see, then when I begin to display the character of Christ, people cannot help but notice there is something different about you. There's a piece that, that your world is falling to pieces, and yet there's something on the inside of you just so stay so calm. I hate it about you. What is it about you that just stays so calm in the situation? Or that you're the person in the office that can just walk around and you can see that someone's going through some stuff, so you just put, put your hand on the, hey, how you doing? <laughs> And the world suddenly sees there's something different about you. Thanks. I'll pay you afterwards. <laughs> See, God is so good. I'm so interested in God because he is so interested in us. And because he's more interested in what I'm like on the inside than what I'm on the outside. I can never get the outside quite right. But he's working on that character, on the internal things, so that I can have a connected to him, connectedness to him. And that he can flow his life through me. So I'm, I'm looking and I'm growing. It's, it's like a path. It's like a, it's, I'm never quite there, but I continue to walk and grow and develop and, and work through those things so that his power is displayed through me. So that I can go and, and I can bring the word of knowledge and bang, we see the salvations. But see, it starts with the little things. It starts with me making the decision to, to get rid of those bad attitudes towards my boss. It starts with those things where, where I come before God and I spend time in his presence. See, so what, what I want us to do is we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament about a, about a guy. His name was Jacob. Why don't you turn to Genesis chapter 32. You see, Adam started it off, didn't he? Adam and Eve made bad choices. We teach our kids about bad choices. If you make bad choices, there's consequences. Is that right, Pastor Steve? Bad choices, consequences. And that's one of the first words they learned, consequences. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You see, Adam started it off. He made some bad choices and there's some consequences. There's some consequences for us. We've got this thing called sin, which is a bentness. It's pursuing myself, 
But actually, on the inside, there's this thing called iniquity. It's this big, bad word that just means bent. It means you're crooked. So that you, it's like you've got a limp. You walk a certain way. You, you can't help, but whenever you go past that lolly jar, you put your hand in it. That's, that's like a bentness. It's like, it's like I'm addicted to the lolly jar. Whenever I, I cannot go past the lolly jar without putting my hand in and taking some. And it's the same with sin or with iniquity. It's just like I'm bent to what we're born with this, this thing inside us that it's like we can't help but do some things. We have no power over it. But you see, that's when Jesus comes in and he's made us whole. He heals us from the inside out. He's the God of miracles. And he wants to change our life. He wants to change us from being so concerned about ourselves to become something far great that the world may believe. For the world to believe, I've got to get beyond myself. I've got to get beyond the insecurities, the fears, the, the shame, the grief, the rejection, whatever it is. I've got to get over that and actually better connect with people. It's not just about being a holy man connecting with God, but it's about being a holy man connected with people. Does that make sense? So let's look at the story about Jacob. See, Jacob was a man. He was, a, he was one of twins. Have we got any twins here tonight? Good stuff. Praise God for twins. Two of a kind. <laughs> you see, Jacob, Jacob's name is, is when he was born. He was born number two out of the twins. And just as he was, his brother Esau was born first. And, as, and the Bible says that as Jacob was coming out second, don't worry about the details of how that all happened. It said that he reached out and he grabbed his brother's heel. And so, of course, they named him Jacob, which means heel grabber. <laughs> which is like, hey, heel grabber, how you doing? Imagine school. But you see, Jacob's life was marked out about someone who always, see, what does it mean to grab the heel? It means someone who's always deceiving, is always going around the back, grabbing. It's like if it's ever been ankle tapped in a game of sport, some game of sport. It's like the ankle tap. You're just going for the try. You reach out and then someone taps you from behind and you just trip up and just X out. To heal, to, to grab the heels, to come from behind and actually deceive you. It's like, it's like the older brother that, uh, I don't know, I had an older brother like this. He was cunning, cunning older brother who would set up situations and they'd say, Andrew, what you need to do is you need to go and do this, 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 and, and then I'll do this. And it was usually involving something sneaky. And so I'd, I'd, of course, follow along thinking he was with me and I'd go and do the whatever it was, steal the cookies or the... But he'd be in the background. He'd get, he'd get the loot, but none of the pain. You see, he's doing things deceptively, which succeeds for a while. You see, look at, the, look at the story of Jacob's life. And throughout his life, he deceived. One of the first things he do is, you see, in those times, they had uh, what was called the blessing. The blessing of the firstborn. The firstborn got everything. The secondborn got whatever was left. So what Jacob did is he deceived his brother to steal his birthright and to steal the blessing. So he got everything. So how do you think his brother felt? They had relational issues. There was a little bit of damage. And so what, of course, he did, he ran. So he deceived his brother. His brother hated him and wanted to kill him. He deceived his father. So it would have broken the, the relationship that he had with his father and he had to run. It said that then Jacob went to another land and uh, he got married in that land to, to a couple of women. And, and it says that he actually deceived his father-in-law as well. 
and got deceived by his father-in-law. You see, it was a character trait in Jacob's life. Wherever he went, he'd always be sneaky and get him behind and do things deceptively. But if you look at Jacob's life from the outside, it said that he grew up in so much. He had so many horses and camels and donkeys. He had goats. He had so much stuff. He was a wealthy, wealthy man. So if that man was here today, what would you say? Successful man. Is that right? What would the world say? Jacob was a successful man. He had so much stuff. He looked good. He, had a, he obviously had something in the relational area with the girls. He had a couple of those, for better or worse. He, he had camels. He had, he had so much stuff in those days that he was a wealthy, wealthy man. So in, the, in terms of the social structure, he was right at the top. But there was something incredibly wrong on the inside. You see, wherever he went, disaster followed relationally. See, not only had he broken a relationship with his father, with his brother, with his father-in-law, but actually there was, there was brokenness starting to accumulate in his family. His wives actually fought against each other, compared. There's this trail of damage. And so what God wanted to do was to adjust that to make him something great. You see, God's plan was to take him from being broken deceiver to become the nation of Israel. God wanted to take him from being just so caught up with himself about how can I get ahead or how I can use you to get ahead, how can I do whatever to actually become somebody that will give of his life and become a nation, to become someone, as it says in John 17, one with God and then one with people, that people would see him and see there's something different and God used him to become a nation. See, what was it then that got Jacob from being a deceiver to becoming a nation builder? What was it? What is it that I can do in my life to take me from being broken and damaged on the inside to become something great for God? What are the steps that I could take? What happened in Jacob's life that changed him? So let's turn in the book of Genesis and let's just see what happened. Genesis chapter 32 and verse 22. And we're just going to read that through. You see, Jacob's come to the point where he's run away and God's spoken to him and said, I want you to return. I want you to return to your family, to your father. Because you've got, you got some things to work on. I want you to return to your, to your brother. You see, what Jacob knows is that as he goes back, his brother is waiting for him. His brother's got 400 warriors on camels. They can move fast. And he knows that Esau has got an issue with Jacob because Jacob stole everything of Esau's. He stole the blessing. He stole the inheritance. How would you feel? I'd sort of have a few daggers out, a few hits. We'd be ready to kind of have a few words, maybe a little bit more than words. You see, Jacob knows back, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Middle Eastern people, they can get fairly fiery. And when they get fairly fiery, usually there's a few explosions. Is that right? So here's, here's a couple of Middle Eastern brothers who are fighting. So what happens? So he, Jacob is freaking out because he's coming to face the fears. He's coming to face the very things that he ran from. He ran for his life from the situation. Now he's going back to it. So he's absolutely terrified. But let's just see what happens. It says this. He sent a whole, whole heap of presents across the, the creek so that when Esau came, he'd see the presents. And then it says this in verse 22. And, he, and it says, And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, 
and his 11 sons, and he crossed over the ford. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So the angel or, the, or God said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And the story goes on to uh, Jacob actually meets with his brother and they, they cry and weep and kiss as they do in that culture. And they're reunited. And it says that, that Jacob no longer is walking the way that he walked. He's now walking with a limp. You see, what God is wanting to do is change your character and nature. Change the way that you walk. Change the way that you walk. Where you used to be walking for yourself, now you're walking different. It says that Jacob used to be running ahead of his family, driving his family. And if you read on just over the page, you see that Jacob now walked with his family. Probably because he couldn't walk any faster because he had a broken hip. But God changed the way he walked and he changed his name. His whole nature was changed. So what are the things? What do I need to do to do those things, same things? See, the first thing, he made a decision. Number one, he made a decision. He made a decision that I'm going to run no more. No more am I going to run for the from the difficult situations. No more am I going to run from the consequences. No more am I going to run from the bad decisions I've made. No more am I going to run from the pain on the inside of me. I'm actually going to make a decision to turn around and face it. I'm going to face the things on the inside of me. You know, some of us, some of you for years have been, you know these things on the inside of you that you've been running from for years. And, and some of us have been facing those things even over the last few months. God's been bringing those things up. And we've got a choice to run again, to go around the mountain again, to run again or to face it and say, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to run like I used to. I'm not going to go again and again and again. I choose to stand and face these things. I make a decision that I'm going to start to do things differently. That was number one. Number two, it says this, that, that Jacob was left alone. You see, he positioned himself. You know, it's, it's not it, part of what, what it's about is it having an encounter with God. If I can encounter God, then his life and love flows through me. I have a revelation of who I am in him. But it's more than just an encounter with God. You see, I've got to change some of the things in my life, some of the, the thought processes, some of the habits, some of the thinking, some of the automatic reactions that I do. Rather than just reaching out and whacking someone, I've got to change the way that I behave. So I've got to encounter God. So before I encounter God, I've got to position myself. How do I position myself to have this encounter with God? How do I position myself to change? See, one of the things that, that Jacob did is it said that he put his whole family across the creek. He, he put, a, put across all these things, and then he stepped back, and it says that he was alone with God. When was the last time that you got alone with God? When was the last time that you stopped the busyness all around your life and just took some time aside, got alone, and start to face some of those things? It's number one to make the decision, but unless I position myself, unless I position myself removing the distractions, 
getting alone, setting up some time where I can be intimate in the word of God, setting up some time where I can actually be, hear the voice of God and encounter him to still the busyness that's all around me. Because I know that if I, if I just do nothing or choose to do nothing, then I'll just get caught up in the busyness of life and nothing will change. You know, number three, it says this, that, that he wrestled with God and then God spoke to him and says, what is your name? Now tell me this, did, did the angel or the person that, that, let's say it's God, God was wrestling with Jacob. Now did God not know who he was? I mean, surely God would have known, or at least if it was an angel, surely the angel would have known, I'm wrestling with Brett. This is Brett that I came down out of heaven or wherever it was I came. God sent me to wrestle with this guy named Brett Pretorius. So I knew what his address, I came to his address. I knew exactly where he'd be. And I wrestled with him all night. And it gets to a point and he says, tell me, what is your name? It's not in the Bible for, for the sake of nothing. It's for a reason. You see, what was his name? His name was heel grabber. His name was deceiver. His name was the man that always goes behind the back and, and tries to take people out. The person that always tries to get himself ahead. So what was he doing? You see, number three is to confess. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our faults, if we confess our sins before God, he's faithful to not only forgive us, but cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what have we got to do? We've actually got to confess it. We've actually got to turn around from what we're doing. Is number one is to make a decision, means to repent, to turn around, to go back. And number three is to confess, to say, what is it that you're facing? What is it? When was the last time that you stood before God and just let it out and have a, a tenty, a two-year-old tenty on the ground and say, God, this is how I'm feeling. I'm angry with this. I'm full of a shame. I'm shame. I'm angry. I'm struggling with this. When was the last time that you truly confessed or got honest with God and said, this is what I'm struggling with? Or do you play the, play the church thing where you come along and say, how are you doing? I'm, I'm really good, brother. Hallelujah. Glory. It's like we play church. Who's got, sing, who's got sing Star at home? Is it sing Star? PlayStation? See the words? I sing the words. It doesn't matter. But you see, what God's trying to do, for us to be one with him and one with other people, we've got to deal inside. How I've got to deal? I've got to open up the window of what I'm, what I'm going through and nail it. So what, well, how do I do that? I've actually got to say it how it is. You know, some of us need to, to, to get out and write it down, get a piece of paper, say, this is what I'm, I don't even know what I'm feeling. We'll start to write, and you'll find that as you begin to write in the presence of God, you'll begin, it'll start to unravel, and God will give you keys on what it is that you're actually facing. Get with a pastor. Say, hey, I'm struggling with some things. I need to get this out. I, want, I need some help to be able to deal with this stuff. So God said, what is your name? So what is your name? What is, what is the things that you're struggling with? What, what is the, the brokenness inside that, you, that you're trying to work on? What is the thing that you've been avoiding for so long? God says, what is your name? Because I want to change it. Yeah, I want to change it. No longer will you be called a heel grabber. No longer will you be called a deceiver. No longer will you be a self-seeking person that's just seeking to get yourself ahead. But I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make you someone that's going to influence the people around you. Why? Because my spirit is going to flow through you. 
because you're one with me. Encounter with God and the life of him flowing through me. No longer hindered by the brokenness in your life because I'm going to begin to restore that. And it was the fourth thing. It said that Jacob wrestled all night. I don't know about you, but a night's a long, long time. Who has ever woken up in the, in the night and because you can't sleep? It seems to go for so long. Or if, you, uh, if you've been, I'm not sure the right word, if, if you've been stupid enough, maybe, is the, the, maybe that is the right word, to have an argument with your wife at like 10 o'clock or 10.30 at night. It's, it's the wrong time to have an argument because things at night just escalate into something far, far greater. Have it during the day, people see much clearer. <laughs> and maybe that's, forget that bit. Thanks, Steve. I'll double it. What I've got to do, I've got to wrestle with God. You see, some of us are wrestling with God with some things on the inside of us. Some of things, we've been wrestling for quite a long time. I want to say, don't give up. You know, Hebrews 11, it talks about, we're not of those who draw back, who, who wrestle with God, start to face the issue, and then it begins to hurt so much that I back off and withdraw. The Bible says that I'm not of those who draw back to destruction, but those who believe. That means that I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go. I'm going to hold on until I get the breakthrough. I'm going to hold on because I know one thing. Morning's coming. Morning's coming. You see, there was three days that Jesus was in the tomb. Now, the first day, it would have looked pretty bleak. Nothing's happening. The second day, it's looking pretty bleak. But the third day, what happened? The third day, something changed. So I don't know where you're at, but I know there's many of us that are struggling and you're wrestling. It's like you're wrestling with God. You're wrestling with people. But morning's coming. Morning's coming. If you just continue to wrestle and lay a hold of God, then it will come. You see, what did God speak to Jacob? He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have wrestled or struggled or strived with man. You've strived with people and you've strived with God but you've prevailed. What does that mean? That I've wrestled with these issues. I've struggled with the issues with people. I've struggled with my issues with God. But this time I have prevailed. And God has taken me from being broken, from being shut down and full of shame to become a nation. You know, what did Jacob go on to do? Jacob became the father of the nation of Israel. The nation Israel would not be today if it hadn't been for Jacob I, I just think that's, that's amazing you know if we go back to John 17 it says this I pray for you why did Jesus pray because he saw the struggles that we would face Jesus doesn't pray for no reason he prays he sees us he sees exactly what we're going through and he says I pray I pray that they may be one as we are one father as you are in me and I in you I pray that, pray that they may be one with us, that they may be one with each other, that the world may see. You see, the world is looking for answers. They've got all the possessions. They've got the stuff. They've got the PlayStations and the, and the, the phones and everything that gets tapped on and on and on. But there's a broken trail 
of relationships. There's a broken trail of abuse, of addictions. It's like there's dry bones. And God says, you are the answer. 